And I've got two hearing aids, too, so I know, I know what it's like. Uh, okay, that, that's it. Now I can hear it. Yeah, that's, that's better. And, um, and so we, um, we're the longest surviving uh, evangelistic organization in the state of North Carolina, other than Billy Graham, of course. And Billy Graham was actually situated in Minneapolis. So God has really been good, and whatever we get, you know, we used to sell tapes and albums and things like that through the years. We don't do that anymore, but we do have a website, and we've got all of the last uh, CD that we ever made is, is on the website if you want to go listen to the music. There's two or three sermons there if you want to check them out, and, and you can also find our schedule. It's just riddleevangelistic.com. That's all you've got to type in, and you can listen to our music. You can hear some things, and you can see where we're going to be. And uh, we'd be glad to have you. We send out a newsletter, but uh, unless you, you know, we'll, you can, you'll give us your address, we'll be glad to put you on our email address or send you a copy, but, you know, that's just up to you. But I just want to tell you a little bit about that, because a lot of people don't understand how we operate, and uh, God's been mighty good to us. 
All right, let me share with you Philippians 4 is what I want to speak from tonight. And I'm glad we got, I got plenty of time. I used to go, I, I always allow an hour. And uh, since he cut back on his music tonight, and uh, I've got some extra time here. And uh, all right, Philippians chapter 4. And um, I want to read verses 4 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And let's, as we do each evening, let's stand in honor of the scriptures and read together whatever version you might have. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Father, thank you for the ones that's gathered here tonight. And as we spend these few moments looking at your teachings in Scripture, may your Spirit guide us and encourage us to be what you would have us be. For your glory and praise, we thank you. Amen. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and uh, it's interesting. He, he, he starts out, in this particular verse as we're looking at, in the command or the imperative form. He's not asking them to do this or praying that they'll do this or hoping they'll do this. He's saying, do this. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, what in the world is the man talking about there? Don't you ever think about things like, how can you rejoice always? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Even the Bible says there's a time to laugh and there's a time to mourn, isn't it? And even our Lord wept. So what in the world is Paul talking about? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He certainly cannot mean you run around all the time with some weird look on your face, just praise, hallelujah, praise God, I'm so happy. I guess there are people like that, but there's something wrong with them. That's... Uh, that's not normal. And if you run into people like that, they're their own something or something's not right. Uh, and so that's just obvious. So what does he mean? Well, Paul also wrote Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so Paul, I think, really believed that no matter what situation you're in, even though you may not be happy that it's happening to you, you can somehow rejoice in the fact that God is going to somehow work this out for good because that's just the kind of God he is. You know, Paul, in fact, he practiced what he preached. Remember in, uh, in Philippi when he and Silas were preaching, they, they were arrested for preaching. They were locked up, beaten, chained, thrown into jail. Now, that would make me whine a little bit. I don't know about you. I mean, I know you look like you're dedicated, but you go downtown Bristol and try to preach and share what God has laid on your heart, and the police arrest you, beat you, chain you, throw you in jail, I have a feeling you're going to be in there, why me, Lord? I'm just trying to do what you said. What's this getting me? But anybody remember in the Scripture what Paul and Silas were doing at midnight? Singing. What kind of idiots are they? <laughs> Singing hymns, praising God. You know, he just somehow believed that even in spite of all that, something good was going to come out. And we know the story, of course, how the jail cells were shaking and Paul and Silas walked free. And they were having such a good time, they didn't even leave. Had a revival meeting in prison. 
and led the jailer and his family to cry. I mean, this is a strange. So Paul practiced what he preached. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So, you know, when something bad happens to you, you don't have to be happy that it happened. That would be foolish. But you can rejoice in the fact that you have the Lord to see you through these things. So you understand that? You got where I'm coming here? I think this is what he's saying. You have to interpret Scripture. And I don't know if I interpret it right or not, but if you don't like my answer, figure it out yourself. I'm doing the best I can. This is just how I see it. I always usually put a little phrase in there, Pastor, because, you know, sometimes the pastors don't always agree with what I have to say. And he's put no restrictions on me. He's not told me anything weird about you that you believe and that I should avoid or anything. He's just given me free reign. And so I want to tell you ahead of time, the opinions of this evangelist does not necessarily reflect the opinions of your pastor. And so don't get mad at him if, if I say something you don't like because it's not his fault, okay? I'm taking full responsibility for anything I say. And uh, you say, well, he invited you. Well, that's, that's his problem, yes. But uh, I worked with him 16 years ago. And it took him 16 years ago to get over it the first time and have nerve enough to bite me back again. And if he does that again, I'll be 85 before I ever get to get a chance to come back. So I don't think that'll happen. But I just want to clear that up. But what, I, what I'm saying does not necessarily mean, you know, or would be interpreted the same way. He and I discussed a lot of things as we walked along today. And we may not agree on everything, but we agree on the main things that Christ is the answer. And so I just, I thought I'd throw that in there because I, you know, sometimes I get controversial. I've already picked on deacons this week and that's, that's, uh, that's been mentioned and, and the deacons may have thought you put me up to it, but I know he did not. He says y'all are sorry deacons, but you're good deacons. So, <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you know, so anyway, tonight if you're careless, for example, and you go out here, you don't look what you're doing, you fall, you break your leg. Don't lie there on the ground saying, oh, hallelujah, praise God, I broke my leg, I broke my leg, thank God. No, that's stupid, that's stupidity. But you can rejoice in the fact that you have God to see you through, that he's going to go with you, you've got church family that loves you, and, go, and so you can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he says, let your moderation be known unto all men. Literally translated, there's all kinds of different translations, I, I get amused at people who argue about which is the band translation. You know, it's, it's so funny because uh, the Bible was originally written in Greek and Hebrew anyway. And uh, so everything you get is a translation. And the only way you can get back to anywhere close to what was there is to learn Greek and Hebrew. So quit arguing about it. That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Uh, and I'll just throw that in for free too in case you got <laughs> some of these people that like to prefer one scripture over the other, and they think that the King James fell out of heaven, and Paul, Paul actually used it and stuff like that. But it says that if you, had the, if you could read the Greek or study it, and he would say, let your self-control. Moderation, you know, is practicing self-control. Uh, let your self-control be made known unto all men. You know, in this same chapter, uh, I think it's, I, here I am trying to quote it again, better look. Uh, yeah, 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? Then what it says, Philippians 4.13, I can do. So, basically, if we allow the Spirit of Christ to indwell us and to guide us and direct us, 
we have the power to, to control things. Things do not control us. We can control them. And, uh, and so we have to claim that power. Paul says, let, let yourself control. Be made known unto all men. Show them the difference that Christ makes. You know, Baptists have been notorious for being negative people, you know. When I was growing up, they, uh, they always was telling me what I couldn't do, you know. The, they had what I call, when I, in the 50s and all, the, uh, what I call the filthy five of the Baptists. Did you all ever know what the filthy five were? Well, I know some of you as old as I am. Maybe you've forgotten. Your mind might not be as sharp, but I'll, I'll remind you. The filthy five is smoking, drinking, cussing, dancing, going to movies. <laughs> that was the filthy five. Now, if you just didn't do those things, you're all right. Don't smoke, cuss, drink, dance, go to movies. And, uh, and I always go, what can I do? You know, if you're going to cut out all that stuff, what am I supposed to do? And they never would tell me the things I could do. They always tell me things you're supposed to. You know, God gives us total freedom, as we talked about last night. You can do anything. He says, in all things, practice self-control. You can take anything and make sin out of it. You know what sin is? Most of the time, it's always overindulgence in something. You know, eating is something we have to do. I mean, we don't have any choice in order to live, but you can also, as one old man used to tell me, Dale, I believe you're digging your grave with your teeth. Because <laughs> I was really putting it away. Yeah, you can dig your grave with your teeth. <laughs> and, uh, and so you can take anything and make sin out of it. The thing we're supposed to do is practice moderation, self-control in all things, practice. You know, the Bible has never really uh, denied us anything. It's always to practice self-control. You know, the Baptists are notorious, uh, you know, like I said, smoking. I, I always grew up smoking because we, I was raised on the back farm. I thought everybody smoked. My mom and dad smoked, dipped and chewed and everything else. And, and I did too until I found out it wasn't good for me. And... Uh, but none of my family ever drank, and I was always taught that was the most evil thing of all. Don't ever drink anything, because that'll, that, that'll just kill you. And they, I said, where do you get that? It's in the Bible. Well, I found out later, it's not in the Bible. You know, it's got drunkenness is in the Bible. Anybody knows that's sin. It's crazy falling down drunk. Then I found over there where Paul even recommended Timothy take a little wine for his stomach's sake and all this stuff. And, and, but we Baptists are so afraid we can't control stuff, we just tell people not to do it. You know, if you can't control it, you ought to not do it. But don't ever blame the Bible for saying you're not, you can't do all these things because the Bible says that. The Bible never says that. It's never taught that. It says in all things, practice moderation, self-control. Now, I'm not giving you a license to drink because probably most of you couldn't drink without getting soused or messed up or something. But, you know, I'm just telling you based on Scripture. You can't argue that. These preachers get up and say the Bible says that you're not to have a a drink of anything, they're lying. It's as simple as that. It doesn't say that. Might be best you don't. Don't get me wrong. I'm not affirming anything. I'm just telling you what it says. I tell the story. So we're to practice self-control. We're to show people by example that our lives are controlled by the Spirit of Christ. And man, what a wonderful thing that is. So rejoice in the Lord and practice self-control. In everything you do. Paul also, a little last part of that verse says, the Lord is at hand. <laughs> now, Paul believed this. He believed that the Lord was coming back any day. 
I mean, he grew up, and he lived his life with the anticipation that the, the next day the Lord would come back. That's why he said such weird things, you know, about, you know, it'd be better if you don't get married. Paul was not anti-marriage. He was just saying, if you can control yourself, you know, now if you can't control yourself, go ahead and get married. But if you can control yourself, you'd be better off because the Lord's coming back and we need to get busy doing, reaching everybody we can. And so we need to, you just need to abstain from that if you can. But if you can't, go ahead and get married. And why? Because he thought the Lord was coming. Now, he was wrong. It, it didn't happen. 2,000 years later, it's still the people who believe in the second coming and all this. It still hasn't happened. But Paul believed it. And, you know, when you live as if something's going to happen the very next day, it changes the way you live. You know, I could, if I could prove all of this group, you know, it's hard to get this crowd to move. I found that out. You don't like to express yourself very much. But if I could prove to you, if I could actually say to you tonight, tonight, 12 o'clock midnight, you're going to die. You're going to go to heaven tonight to be with the Lord. You go, your life is over. I'll bet you I'd have some folks standing around all to get some things straightened out then. See, we don't live as though the Lord is at hand. I could be dead before tonight. I don't know. I've already had experiences at all near death. And, uh, and I know it can happen. And so you have to live every day as if the Lord were coming or you were going to meet him. But we don't do that. We don't live as though the Lord is at hand. And that's why we don't practice self-control. Let me ask you ladies something. What do you do if you expect in company? I mean, you know somebody's coming to visit. You clean up, don't you? Yes, sirree. That's just part of our nature. We don't want people to think we live like that all the time. <laughs> we won't make a better impression than that. And so if we know they're coming, we dust and clean, get things looking good because we want to make a good impression. It makes a difference. You know, Pastor, when I was a pastor, they didn't teach you a whole lot in seminary about how to do things. I mean, you know, they, they teach you stuff. You learn information. I learn Greek and Hebrew. A lot of that good that does out on the work field, you know, and stuff. But I'd always been taught that, you're, you know, when you're a pastor, you're supposed to visit people. Well, okay, I don't mind. I like people. I'll go visit them. That's what they want. And when I was growing up, you know, we always went and visited with family because we didn't have televisions and telephones and all that stuff. And so people interacted a lot more uh, when I was a kid. And so when I became pastor, I just started visiting. Well, no one told me I was supposed to call them first and, and let them know I was coming. You know, I just thought you could show up anytime, use their pastor, whatever. And I remember this funniest little old thing. One day I was riding on, I went to see this little lady in my church beautiful little white-haired lady. Her name was Dobby. That's the craziest name I've ever heard. D-O-B-B-I-E. That was her name, Dobby. And Dobby was one of my most faithful members, sweet as she could be. Well, I walked up on the front porch, and I could see her right there in the, in the living room, and I knocked on her door, and she turned around, you know, and looked, and said, whoo, and she threw up her hand and took off running and uh, fell over the table and skinned her shins all up. And you know what she was doing? What had happened, she was trying to hide some old dirty books that she had laying out on the table, some kind of old magazine. I don't know what they weren't. I didn't care what she read. Some kind of National Enquirer or something. I don't know what, but she didn't want the preacher to see them. And uh, had she known I was coming, she would have cleaned that up. And boy, she let me have it. She said, Preacher, I want to tell you something. Don't you ever come to this house without calling me first. And why she was mad about it? Because she wanted to clean up. 
she wanted to make a better impression. Now, you know, I don't know why. God knows what she, she did. And uh, I don't know why she was worried about the preacher knowing if God knew, but somebody, I was the other night, I went back and uh, I was over there eating some cake, and they said, uh, he said, why are you doing that? I said, I don't particularly want my wife to see it because I'm diabetic and she worries about me eating this sweet stuff. He said, well, God knows you're doing it. I said, yeah, but God don't care. <laughs> he lets me eat it. <laughs> my wife's one gives me a hard time about it. And so, you know, we've got to rejoice in the Lord and we've got to learn to practice self-control. Live as though the Lord is at hand. I'm telling you, folks, I can look at this crowd, and that includes myself. It's not going to be long. We're going to be history. <laughs> That's just the reality, isn't it? My Lord. So why don't you go ahead and start getting things under control here and live your days for the glory of God and rejoice in him and practice that discipline. All right. I'm, I got so much time, I'm just having a good time. I used to try to rush myself here. Thank you, brother, for not singing tonight. I was really. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give God a hard time about that. But the, the main part I want to, that's not even where I want to preach, really. It's this part it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your self control and moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, that sounds reckless in the old King James English. I mean, how many really take that verse literally? Be careful for nothing. If you follow that and really believe that, you know, I could ask you to raise your hand, but I don't think you'd be stupid enough to do that. <laughs> because, you know, we're supposed to be careful about some things. And again, there's that translation problem again. It literally means be worried for nothing or don't be anxious about these things. And I want to tell you something. I'm going to spend just a few minutes here because this may be a problem for some of you. But one of the greatest sins on the part of Christian people is the sin of worry. And I've been mean, now wait a minute, preacher. Worry is not a sin. Yes, worry is a sin. Certain kinds of worry, of course. I'll, I'll clear that up. But you, in this same chapter, it says what over here? But my God shall supply all, that's Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I can say, do y'all believe that verse? But my God shall supply all of my need according. Yeah, then what you got to worry about? You see, some people tell one preacher made this statement. He said, worry are practical atheists. They say they believe God, but they live as though they don't. Do you really believe it or do you not believe it? And so he says here, be worried for nothing. So again, what is he talking about here? Well, I want to help you understand there is a difference between what I call worry and practical concern. It's okay to be concerned about certain things because that's natural. You know, when my children were small, I didn't just tell my kids, y'all going out in the street and play, I'm not going to worry about you. God will take care of you. Just dodge cars, whatever it needs, and he'll take care of you. No, I always made sure my children were cared for. Why? Because I was a concerned parent. I knew they did not know the danger. So that's practical concern. What would have been sin would have been to go back inside and worry about them after I'd done everything I could to make sure everything was all right. Does that make any sense to you? 
Well, some of you didn't get it. All right, I'll try. One thing I have learned, you just look and you can tell the one, uh, I don't believe I understood that. <laughs> so uh, I'll try another one. All right, let's just say, for example, uh, and let's go back to, you know, the old days, before we had all the technology that we stay into. Now we can't get away from each other, you know, with all the technology. You can't even hardly get people to go any place without, <laughs> you know, staying in touch. But uh, say back in the older days, you ladies, if you had a husband that was a very, very dependable husband. I know this is stretching it, but let's try this. He would be the kind of husband that if he was going to be late for work or coming in from work, he's going to be late coming home, he'd be the kind of understanding and a husband that would call you and let you know, look, honey, I'm running late. I got caught up in traffic or a job is late. I'll be there whole supper. I'll be there at a certain time. Why? Because he's, you know, he's concerned about your feelings and he knows you'd be concerned about him. And, uh, and so that, that'd be great. Now, your husband normally would always call, at least if he was going to be late, you know, and it's now 6.30, he would always would have called if he was going to be that late. You haven't heard from him. It would be naturally to be concerned. Something's not right. My husband is the kind of dependable person that would have called me if there was going to be this kind of delay. That would be practical concern. What would be sin would be to sit at home all day and worry about him on the job because there's nothing you can do about that. You see, sin of worry is when we worry about things we have no control over. Things that you can have some control or some input on, that's fine. They're like some people worry about how to pay their bills. You know, wait a minute, that's practical concern. We have to pay the bills, that's true. I'll give you that one, that is practical concern. But again, if you backed up where we were at, had we practiced self-control, we probably wouldn't be in that mess where we'd have to be concerned about paying for all the junk we've gotten that we don't really need. That's where a lot of it comes from, is a lack of self-control causes us to have to be concerned about other things that had we not yielded to those kind of things, we wouldn't be in that tragic mess to begin with. So practical concern, I mean, I'm telling you, some people worry about what people think. Let me ask you a question. How can you control what people think? Anybody want to tell me? You can't. <laughs> you can't. People are going to think about you whatever they want to think, right or wrong. And if you think you can control what people think, you can't. I learned that a long time ago. I, pastors believe that they're some of the worst uh, at the Todd, and I don't know if you're like this or not. I hope not. But pastors think everybody ought to love them. You know, because they're the pastor and they, they're loving people and they're doing the best they can. And there'll be a church, uh, I've been to churches where about 80% or maybe 85% of the people just love the pastor. But there's about 15% can't stand him. It's always it is. I mean, what do you expect? Obama's what's got 40% right now. He's the president of the United States. He got 6% don't like him. But you know what? He still has to do what he has to do. And so pastors are the same way. And you never. I had When I was pastor of the church, there were always people who didn't like me. And what was I going to do? Try to change my life to try to please that 10% or 15%? No. You know, it might be their joy in life not loving you or not liking you. Let them have some fun. <laughs> Leave them alone. Good grief. I mean, you can't worry about what people think. Look, I figured it out. 
I talk about the Lord all the time. He's my example. I'm Christ-centered. And I think about the life of Christ. They called him everything. Called him a drunkard, called him a glutton, said he was a demon-possessed. You name it, they said bad things about him. And here was a perfect person. Never sinned, never did anything but good. Look what they said about him. Can you imagine what they say about you? They follow you around a while? So let it go. I learned, you know, if they're going to just let people think what they want. I, uh, I've had people that don't like me sometimes because I, I used to wear a full beard. And they didn't like that. Well, so what? They said, well, you could cut it off. Well, if you do, they'll find something else. If they're not going to like you, then they'd say, well, your nose looks too big now that you cut your beard off or your, your head don't look right. It, if, if people don't want to like you, they're not going to like you. So don't worry about what people think. I mean, Gilda, she's had this battle. Right? She's getting over it a lot, but you know, she'd worry about getting ready to go to church. She said, you think this outfit's all right? And I said, well, sure. But she said, well, it's a pantsuit. She said, some of these churches, the women all wear dresses. Do you think they'll like it? I said, do you like it? Yeah. Well, I said, wear it. It doesn't matter whether they like it or not. You don't have to try to please people. You know, I, you know, I try to get along. Look at me. I've dressed up all week and it's, and I thought maybe this church was kind of formal. I brought good clothes. I didn't know that you, they looked like you're going to play golf or something all the time here. <laughs> and so I'm willing to compromise. But you can't live your life like that. I don't know. It's just, it's just strange. We worry about sin of worry. worry about all kinds of things we just have no control over. Don't, don't worry about how much time? All right. <laughs> I'll give you this example. This is a classic here. I love to tell stories. And this will help. I had a step-grandmother. I think that's what you'd call it. My dad's mom died when he was five years old during the 1918 and the flu pandemic they had here in America. And uh, later, his dad, which would have been my granddad, remarried. And he married this chronic worrier. Have you ever known people that just have a, I mean, they just don't know how to live without worrying. And she was one of those. I mean, these people are really sick now. They need help. But, I mean, this is, that's the way she was. And, uh, and I can always remember, it was the strangest thing. Uh, she, uh, well, she, my grandfather well, let me give you the way. For example, she was afraid of thunderstorms. Y'all know people afraid of thunderstorms. And I know that I know thunderstorms can be dangerous, and I see it on the news. And and uh, we live in the, on the East Coast here, pretty dangerous area. I know people get killed by lightning, but the odds are just astronomical. I mean, you got to almost want to get hit by lightning in a storm for it to happen. You go, you go out on a hill with a golf stick and hold it up, you can get hit. It, it's not that hard. But normally, if you just practice a little bit of common sense and self-control, it's not going to anything bad happen to you. But she was horrified of thunderstorms. And when the storms would come up, she would uh, gather a family and go to somebody else's house. Have you ever known people do that? Change locations. Yeah, some of y'all know these people like this. And I used to think, why did she do that? I mean, how could she possibly figure out that... Uh, Lightning is less likely to strike this house than her house. I mean, why? I understand if she's afraid, but why would she move? And it finally dawned on me when I was older and could think more clearly. 
she wants to kill a whole bunch of people in case she, uh, she wants to take a crowd with her. Well, you can laugh if you want to. If somebody comes to your house during a thunderstorm, don't let them in, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Why are they there? They're afraid they're going to get killed. Where have they come to get it? At your house. They're going to get you killed. Just stuff like that. It's a strange thing. She would see a stranger walk by, and she'd worry for weeks that that stranger was going to come back one night and get her. And stuff. Just paranoid stuff. Just weird. And... Uh, so when my grandpa died, I was just a little, I don't know, six, seven years old. I don't know how, exactly how old, maybe eight. Uh, she would not spend one night alone in her home, of course, naturally. You can imagine that. And so somebody always had to be with her. If her family was around, some of her family or children, somebody always had to stay there. Well, sometimes they couldn't be there, and so my daddy would send me down to stay with her. And I was trying to figure that out, you know, what the, you know, what am I supposed to do? You know, here's this old woman, and she's afraid of everything, and she's paranoid, and she, and she wants me there. So finally one night I asked her, I, I called her Aunt Nanny. I said, Aunt Nanny, I want to ask you something. Well, why do you want me to stay here with you? What's the purpose of my being here at night with you? Other than the fact I know you, that you're afraid to be by yourself, well, what, why, what am I supposed to do? What, what? What's going on? Why are you like that? She said, honey, I'm, a, I'm afraid a booger's going to get me. That was, I don't know what booger meant exactly. That's, that's what old people used to call him. You remember that? The booger. Booger man or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, I said, so you're, you're afraid the booger man's me? Yeah. And so I got upstairs that night. I was lying in bed, and I got to thinking about it. I was, you know, fairly intelligent for my age. And I was thinking, now, wait a minute. What if a booger man does break in this house? <laughs> what am I supposed to do about it? I'm eight years old. Why does she want me here? What am I supposed to do? She had me all worked up. And finally, it just went off like a light bulb. Booger bait. <laughs> I am booger bait. The booger's going to get me while she escapes. <laughs> That's the only reasonable example I could ever come up with. I see some of you have been booger bait, too. That's what it is. What do you think somebody's doing? Say, honey, you go on ahead and go on now, flip on the lights for me. In case a booger's there. You're going to get it first. <laughs> oh, Lord. Well, let's, I'll just share that story to show you the ridiculousness of worry. And by the way, she lived to be 101. A hundred and one years old. If you think worrying will kill you, forget it. <laughs> there is no way. I have a theory that God lets warriors live longer than anybody else on earth. Just as punishment. So if you're a warrior, enjoy. You'll live to be old. You just won't enjoy it very much. Because you worry all the time. Isn't that sad? You're to think about it. Here's this woman lived to be 101 years old and all of her life she worried all the time about things that didn't even come close to happening. And you know what? 90% of the things that you burn yourself up over, you have no control over it anyway. And you make yourself miserable worrying about things that you have no control. You know, I, I guess I, I'm not guilty to tell you now. If you want to know, I've, I've got a lot of areas where I need to grow. 
But one of the areas that God has given me victory over is the sin of worry. I, I don't worry about things that I have no control over. You ask her. She's been with me now for 49 years. And I think I was like my mother. My mother never did worry much about stuff. She was like that. She, one time I thought she didn't love me because, you know, if I'd come home, she'd be in the bed. And all the other kids, mom set up, you know, till they got home. They couldn't sleep a wink until their kids arrived home. No, just to sit up and wear themselves to death. Like, now what are you going to do sitting there waiting till they come home? Like, you're you going to change things, right? No, you have no control over it. You know that. And so I asked them, I said, Mom, do you love me? She said, well, yeah, son, I love you. I said, well, you don't ever wait up for me. I said, all the other moms wait up for their kids till they come home. She said, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. She said, if something happens, somebody will call me. I'm certainly not going to sit up here and wait for it to happen. And look how many of you have lost a lot of night's sleep and concern and worry over things you have no control over. So you need the victory. People ever, didn't you worry about your children? Not really. I was kind of like my mom. You know, I'd tell them the pastor today, I never set a curfew for my kids. They'd say, what time you want us home? I said, whenever y'all think, good time. Be reasonable. They always came home before I would have told them to. And uh, I'll go to bed and go to sleep. I never knew when they came and when they went. So it can be done. But not if you're one of those people that worry about things you have no control over. And this is why you need the Spirit of God to help you with these things. Okay, good grief. <laughs> Time's already gone. So I'm just going to have to summarize it up here. I ain't got to even where I wanted to preach yet. What I get to telling stories is. So Paul's not going to tell you to rejoice in the Lord and practice self-control and be free from needless worry without giving you the, the formula to do it. And it's there. But in all things, in both prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now there's the formula. First point. <laughs> I'm just going to give them to you. I ain't got time to preach them. First point is pray about everything. That little word there in Greek means pray in general. Pray about everything. How many of us really pray about everything? Don't even pretend you do. When was the last time you prayed about where to take a vacation? Or whether to buy this dress? Or that set of clubs? Or that fishing pole? Or what? When was the last time you prayed about stuff? Like, what do you mean we're supposed to pray about that? Yeah, the Bible talks about pray without ceasing. Pray about everything. We got a song to sing about, don't we? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry, what? Everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often fort. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Learn the secret of praying about everything. Man, you won't believe what a difference it'll make in your life. I just love that concept. And then it says, ask specifically for some things with supplication. You know, praying about everything. Like, take God and go grocery shopping with you sometimes. You won't believe how much money it'll save. Just, just pray on the groceries. You know, just call my prayer man and pick up that bag of cookies and read it. I do this and huh? 6,000 calories, four, 400 grams of fat. And I say, Lord, should I buy these cookies? <laughs> you know what he's going to say. I don't want his opinion. I just toss him in the bucket and move on. 
That's what I'm saying. You can pray about everything. It'll save you money. I always pray when Gilda goes off shopping, God give her control and, and, and be with her. And I tell her, pray about your purchases. <laughs> Saves a lot of money. But some things, that's just general stuff. But some things, you, do, you read the crossroads in life, don't you? I know you've been there, and I've been there. I mean, you, got, you need an answer. You need to go left or right or straight ahead. And then you can ask for a sign. It's okay to ask for a sign if you're genuinely seeking the will of God. Man, I, I think it's great. It, it's not testing God if you're genuinely seeking his will, his direction. You remember the old story in Gideon, you know, he wanted his signs, put out the fleece, because he thought God had done messed up calling him, because he was the least of the tribes and the least family, and wrung out a whole bowl of water because he wanted it. Next morning, he went through the dry, and he, he finally got his convinced, and Gideon went on to do great things. He wanted the sign. There have been many times I've had to ask for a sign. Man, yeah, even when uh, I entered this ministry, I had to, I had to know not know, but I had to have at least an assurance that this was the direction God was leading me. It started really when I was young. I see these girls. I see you brought your boyfriend tonight. I said, him. He looks a whole lot better than you said he did. He's <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But you know, when I was young, it's the, and I, I begin when your hormones change and everything, you know, when you're a kid, your voice changes and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, I started noticing girls in a different way that I'd never noticed them before. And I, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I was a Christian. I thought, God, how am I supposed to know whom I was marry? I mean, I know that's an important decision. That ought to be something that you, you really ought to seek God about. And, and I, but every beautiful woman I saw, I got excited about. <laughs> I did. I'll admit it. Some of y'all make like I didn't do that. Yes, you did. <laughs> it's just part of growing up. And, and I couldn't help myself. And I said, God, how am I supposed to know? I might could love any of these girls. They give me a chance. <laughs> and, uh, and so as a young boy, I'm telling you, about 12, 13 years old, whatever, when all this started, I began to pray that God would lead me to the person I was to marry. I said, look, there's got to be somebody out there you know is best for me. And I, I don't want to just choose anybody. I've seen too many things going on. So I want you to help me. And time went by, and it's the strangest thing. I know you probably won't even believe this story, but I don't care because it's the truth. And I don't worry about whether you believe it or not. It, it actually happened. I was in church in a revival meeting, I guess, or I was at church for some reason. I was singing. I was in a little group. I was singing. And the piano was faced, you know, toward the choir. We couldn't see the pianist. She had her back, kind of like y'all do, but they got, you just got her blocked. Uh, you, you can't see Cindy either. But this, she had her back to me, and I was sitting on the front row, and this young girl was playing the piano. And I got to just looking at her, you know. All I could see was the back of her head, and she had her hair up in the French twist. Let me tell you how long ago this was. Had her hair up in the French twist. And I was just standing there kind of staring at the back of her head, and all of a sudden I said, that's the most beautiful set of ears that I have ever seen on a woman in my life and then it just hit me well what's the matter with you you've never had an ear fetish before you've never been attracted to ears <laughs> I thought what this is a weird thought and I believe it was the spirit of God something said to me that's the girl you're going to marry that's her right there and I just got all flushed and sweaty and I said oh my lord that's her 
Now, I'll admit, oh, gosh, I was so relieved when she turned around and everything else looked good, too. <laughs> she turned around and said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> we dated for several years and finally married. Been married now since it'll be 49 years. But I want to tell you something. Our marriage would have never survived that I believe it had not been ordained of God. I mean, we put it through some fire. We were married four years. First four years we were married, I was playing in the rock and roll band. And then the next eight years, we were in college and seminary together, both of us graduating, and had two children while we were in school and seminary. And then for the next 10 years, we traveled as a family on the road, sometimes 30 and 40 weeks out of the year, and had to educate our own children on the road and travel. And I'm telling you, if we not had a marriage ordained of God, it could have never survived what we put it through. Did you pray about who you were to marry? Uh-huh. You know, that's important enough to figure out to pray about, I think, don't you? Don't you think you ought to really kind of find out who's best? I, uh, I said that one night in the revival, Donna, little lady. <laughs> I said, do you pray about who you were to marry? She said, that's it. That's, she realized, that's where I messed up. She had been married to this old reprobate all of her life. Suddenly dawned on her. I didn't pray about that thing. I'll tell you what, you can laugh about it all you want to, but we wouldn't have over half of our marriages in this country ending in divorce if we had more people seeking the face of God about who they were to marry. And what is the result? A peace of God that passes all understanding. Well, I didn't finish it. I've got to go ahead and finish it, I guess. You pray about everything, ask specifically for some things, and then give thanks in all things with thanksgiving. You always thank God for the answer. He always answers. Sometimes he answers immediately. Sometimes he answers later. Sometimes he answers in ways we don't even know it. Sometimes he says no. <laughs> That's an answer too. Even Jesus prayed if there was any way the cup could be removed and he'd not have to suffer that pain of death. Could it be removed? And the father said no. And he got up and went to the cross. So God says no sometimes. That's an answer. Accept it. Good thinking just because you say it, it's got to happen. Always thank him because he always answers. And the result then is the peace of God that passes all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds Christ Jesus. Wouldn't you love to be happy in the Lord and be able to practice that self-control and, and be able to be free from needless worry? Well, there's a little formula that'll help you. Pray about everything. Ask specifically for some things. Seek his face. And give thanks in all things. And a peace of God that passes understanding will certainly be yours. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for again for the scriptures that give us hope. Thank you for the example of Apostle Paul, and thank you for your example that you gave us. And help us to know now that we can experience that peace that we all desire so much if we would just listen. Lord, we all want to experience joy, and you said you came that we might have joy and have the abundant life. We all want to be in control and not allow things to control us. And who doesn't want to be free from senseless and needless worry? God, may our commitment be tonight to maybe just learn to pray about everything and quit basing things on just our emotional aspect, but seek you sometimes in asking for direction. And then thank you. Thank you that you always answer prayer. Either positive or negative, it's an answer. 
now my prayer for this congregation and for myself is that we would experience that peace that passes all understanding. In Christ's name we pray, amen.